0: Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Restoration. My name is Ryan. We're thrilled you're here. And um, a couple of things to bring to your attention as we get going on this fine Sunday. As I move this, is it okay if I'm... Okay. I'm going to break something. Yeah, that's going to... I'm going to fall and die <laughs> right there. <laughs> I um, just want to bring a couple things to your attention. Uh, if you're, uh, you're a regular around here, you know we like to get together. And uh, if you're new and you want to meet some folks, um, there's a few things happening coming up here that we'd love to invite you to. First one is, uh, guys, we got a pub chat this Thursday. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's where we get together and, uh, at a pub or at someone's house and uh, just talk. Um, sometimes a, a topic's thrown out there, but it's just uh, a, a great uh, chance for you to just relax with some people and um, and get to know others and just kind of share your thoughts and if you have any. Um, and if you don't, that's okay. Um, so love to have you there Thursday. We've got an all-church uh, par- barbecue coming up uh, August 4th at, at uh, one of the houses in our church, Gene Wysaki's house. And so... Lawn games, all that fun stuff, good stuff there. And then in a couple of weeks, actually two weeks from today, we're going to do a baptism service. So if you've come to the place in your life and in your faith journey that, yeah, you want to take that step um, and be baptized, uh, we would love to talk to you um, and hear your story. And uh, so right after the service that day, um, we're going to do a brief baptism service Um, And so we'd love for you to be here for that. Invite some friends and family. But if you want to be a part of that um, and actually be baptized, we would love to talk to you. So last week here at church, we uh, did a lot. It was kind of a crazy day. We had had a town hall meeting right after our services. And we talked about finances and leadership and our children's ministry. And then um, last Wednesday, we had an all-church prayer night. um, And we were... um, Only to be outdone by the swarm of Pokemon Go people who were roaming around um, the grounds here at the Arvada Center. So uh, just a great time as a church this last week of just kind of refocusing um, and and just kind of getting uh, together and uh, believing that God is at work and and telling stories and praying. It's just been a great week. And so thank you for those of you who are a part of that. But uh, will you do me a favor? Say hi to someone next to you. Stand up. Say hi to someone next to you. Well, good. Good morning. Glad to see everybody. Uh, We are in a series on the book of Ruth, and we're calling it Redemption because it is a theme that is prevalent not only in the book of Ruth, but really uh, throughout Scripture. But the, the book of Ruth just gives this story, this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be redeemed, to experience redemption. And so, um, today, we're going to do something we haven't done this whole series, and that is we're going to get through a whole chapter of the book of Ruth. Um, if you've been with us, I know you're like, this is taking forever. Uh, uh, so uh, just deal with it, okay? Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're kind of in for the, the long haul and to really get as much as we can from this wonderful story. And so um, we just have been uh, cruising through it. Um, this is week six of the book of Ruth. So if you've missed some of this... Uh, there is so much happening that you can go back online and, and a podcast here. It, you can actually download. We have a church app that you can download. Um, and what's handy is if you have a smartphone, if you don't, then you're not experienced Pokemon Go. But if you if you have a smartphone, <laughs> that's the last time I'm going to reference it because it makes me sick. Anyhow, uh, so... If you have a smartphone and you, and you want to download our app, um, it's great because you can podcast right down there. And you can just, wherever you are, you can listen to sermons and, uh, and catch up and all that good stuff. Because, right, we're traveling people, aren't we? We've been busy this summer. And so um, if you want to catch up, that would be great. So last week we talked about this word, this characteristic of God uh, called Hesed. And hesed is this, uh, this difficult for the, the English uh, language to translate because it means so many different things. And there's this full picture of it. It's basically the, the loving kindness of God, God's mercy, God's grace that's lavished undeservedly on us. And, and at the same time, it becomes a characteristic of those who follow God. So that, um, really, at the end of the day, if you kind of put two and two together, what it means is this: If you follow God, this God of has said, which it means you're an ambassador now with that same characteristic, and we risk projecting a false image of God if we don't live our lives out of love and kindness. And so, there's much more to be said that we said last week, and. Um, we talked about the week before this idea of, of it just so happened, right, that, that Ruth was gleaning in this field of Boaz. And um, if you're new to this story, there's, there's two widows we're talking about, Ruth and, and Naomi. And Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And Naomi makes this oath, this pledge to follow, uh, Ruth makes the pledge to follow Naomi back to her country, uh, back to her people, back to her God. And she's really risking everything. We talked about that decision and how big of a deal that was. And she ends up back in Israel during the barley harvest. And the barley harvest is the first harvest. She has this opportunity to glean in the fields, following the Jewish law to take care of foreigners in their midst. They would allow foreigners to glean, and that means to pick and pick up Uh, stuff that had fallen from the harvesters. And, And then she has this exchange with Boaz, and Boaz knows who she is. He's heard her story. And he says, not only do I want you to glean, but I want you to experience the fullness of everything else. And it's just this unbelievable amount of kindness given to Ruth because of the kindness that she gave Naomi. And so there's this beautiful back and forth of kindness happening. In the story in the last week we heard of this this person this this guy named Boaz and Boaz as it turns out Naomi lets Ruth know that this guy that she just so, so happens to be gleaning in his field is a guardian redeemer meaning he 's one of the people within the extended family that have the means and the ability to redeem them to protect them and take care of them and uh, to put them under his wing. But there's a few of them. But he just so happens to be one of them. And it says here in in verse 20 of chapter 2, it says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And a guardian redeemer is actually a very Jewish uh, way of preserving and protecting family members. And so a guardian redeemer had a number of different ways that they could redeem and care for people in their family. The first one is, is if someone lost their property that was sold to keep them out of poverty. So they actually had land, they owned land, but they were in such economic condition that they had to sell land in order to survive. Um, This this person in their family could actually come in and pay that debt and get their land back, okay? That was one version of it. The second one that actually took it to step further. So maybe you had land, you sold that land, but it wasn't enough. And then you actually had to sell yourself into servitude uh, to somebody else because of what you owed them, a family member, uh, a guardian redeemer could come in, pay that debt, and set you free. Okay, that was another version. Uh, there was one, um, there, there's one pretty brutal one that is t- talking about avenging the death of somebody. Um, of a family member, we won't get into that one. That one's pretty hairy. Um, but then there's this idea of restitution. There's there's lawsuits that they could get involved in. Um, and in this instance, a young widow, okay. Uh, could be redeemed as the wife of a clan member, um, or you know, we talked about the law of levirate marriage and how a brother could marry his uh, his his deceased brother's wife in order to preserve uh, the family line. Not only that, but to protect her and 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 give her uh, 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 provision and things like that. And then there's there's the old widows um, redeeming a clan widow and who is kind of facing this. Um, of not being able to provide for herself. And so there's all these ways a guardian redeemer could step in. All these ways. And so within the Israelite culture that was set up, now this was 3,200 years ago. This was a long time ago. This is a culture that is very difficult for us to bridge. And, and, and for ladies in this room, um, it, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around the idea of, of being someone's property. And being so reliant on men. And there were so many things you couldn't do and you could do. And, 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 and some people might say, well, man, God, the God of the Bible is so, so mean to set it up like this. Well, this was not God's doing. This is, this is culture. And so there was a way within culture that God worked, okay, to show who he was. We're going to jump into Ruth chapter three, and if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you feel free to get up, but it's a pretty chill place. We have Bibles in the back. Um, you can also watch it on the screen if you've got the kind of the lazies going on, and you don't feel like getting up, and I totally get it. I mean, that's, I mean, it's summertime, right? So uh, here we go. Ruth chapter three, verse one. It says, "One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, "My daughter." I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And so there's this, um, uh, you know, a little while ago she showed up in Israel and her, she, called, she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, call me bitter, which is like a total, she must have been the life of the party, right? Just call me bitter. You know? Uh, and it's just she's in a funk, she's in a depression, she's, she feels hopeless, she feels uh, like at the end of her rope, but, but something is stirring, something is happening with this interaction between Ruth and Boaz, and she begins to see there's a possibility. Of redemption and, and it's kind of like when you're um, maybe this is a bad analogy but like when like a smoke filled uh, a room and 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 you fling open the windows and you can begin to uh, clear out you know it's just this idea of fresh air is finally blowing in to Naomi's life. And she begins to see an opportunity. She begins to see a possibility. And she's coming out of her funk. And it says in verse 2, Now, Boaz, with, with who, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Um, and she had talked about that before. Tonight, okay, tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, remember, we talked about the harvest. There was two harvests. The first one was the barley harvest. The second one's the wheat harvest which means this is right around the end of March, probably. And you can probably guess that within these two harvest seasons, it's probably pretty busy, especially for someone like Boaz, who has a ton of crops. He has a ton of people working for him. And it sounds as if the story is telling us this is a big harvest, that this isn't an average one, that this is something big. And so they're in the middle of this busy time in late March, and The wheat harvest would come in in the middle of May. And this is how it worked. And so since since some of us are farmers um, in this room, we probably know what threshing means and know what winnowing means. But um, if you're a city person, let's uh, let's talk about what this is. A threshing floor. i I got a picture of a threshing floor. Okay, This is a threshing floor. It's uh, it's actually a very expensive uh, piece of property. And so many villages had just one. Um, or, or, and the whole community used it, and so it was a very important time uh, and place to be, and so they would bring all of their food, all of their uh, harvest to the threshing floor. And so in this particular day, and for days probably leading up to it, uh, Boaz's team has been hauling sheaves and bundles of stuff all the way up to the threshing floor, knowing that at this particular evening, because of the wind would be blowing in the Middle East, and, um, and that's kind of how it worked with the weather system. And, and so the evening would be the, the breeze. They would come up to the threshing floor, and they would begin to crush out okay, the sheaves. And this is how it would work. They would continue to throw uh, uh, barley into the middle, and and no, you're going too fast. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, so, so what they would do is there would there would be like this. Sometimes there would be like a, a cart behind it, and and people would ride this cart, and the oxen would pull it, and it would just crush out the sheaves. And then, okay, now you can fast forward here. This is called winnowing, and they would take. Uh, this, this mixture and throw it in the air, and the breeze would take away the chaff, and then the grain, which was heavier, would fall to the ground. And after hours and hours of this, you would have the way it would go in the circular pattern you'd have this huge pile of grain in the middle. A lot of work, really hard work. And, and, and this is what is happening this evening. This is what Ruth is telling, um, Naomi is telling Ruth, that Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor doing this. And it's time for action. This This is a moment. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And so she tells Ruth it's time to communicate something to Boaz. Now, on first reading of this story, we're about to read. I just need to help you understand that it's um, in our culture. We're going to read this story through a certain lens, and there have been a lot of uh, Bible studies and books written about um, romance and marriage. And there's all these good themes in here, and but those aren't the only themes. Okay, and so what we're about to read is a very romantic story. Um, and some people have actually said it's sexual, and it's not. And the problem with our culture, can we just admit that our culture, those two things are, are locked together, right? And so we think, well, if it's romantic, it means it's sexual. I mean, uh, the, everything TV-wise and music and everything in our culture just says, well, that's what it is. We just go there automatically in our minds. And I, I want to encourage you not to go there, okay? Okay. Um, This is a 3,200-year-old culture story. And so what we have is Ruth communicating something, uh, needing to communicate something to Boaz that he does not yet know. And we're going to talk about what that is. And remember that Boaz, up to this point, um, is not romancing Ruth. He is caring for Naomi and Ruth. He is a busy man. (laughs) He is a super busy man. And the second thing you need to understand, he's a much older man than Ruth. In fact, he's uh, believed to be a widower. And he's not a creepy uncle, okay? He's not a creepy uncle creeping on this Moabite girl, okay? He is really ultimately, it says in the beginning of this, it says that Boaz was a man worthy a man of worthy valor. He's a a man of standing, and he has a reputation. And so there's no expectation in Boaz's mind of romance at all. It's just he's older, and he's busy. And this is what Naomi tells Ruth to do. Wash. Okay, now, so... um, (laughs) You need to take a shower. Uh, you've been you've been collecting sheaves, and you're a little ripe. Um, no, but she said no. It's it's not necessarily that. It's actually what what's in, we read it that way, okay? But but she's a grieving widow, and what do widows wear? They wear ash. They put ash on. Cold ash. And and they wear widows' garments and they, they make sure that there's tears in them so that people, when they see, when you see someone walking out with, with walking around with garments that are ripped and ash, you know two things. One, they're grieving, and two, they're off limits. So she's been wearing widows' clothes. She's been putting ash on her forehead. And this is how she goes out. She says, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Here's what Naomi's saying. She's saying, we're going to burn our widow's rags. We're washing off the grief. It's a new day. There's a new moment coming. That's what she's saying. She said, put on perfume, and and that's the best translation for us, but... Uh, it's, it's almost like uh, it's actually the word there is meant to be the word anoint. Anoint yourself. And to be anointed in that time was to put on this fragrant oil. It, it actually reminded people of, uh, of the tabernacle. Smelled this smell. It would remind you of church. Um, I grew up, we, we went to an Episcopal church when I was growing up. And I don't know if you knew much about the Episcopal church or Catholic church, but they would do the incense, you know, come down the aisle with the incense. And as a kid, I'm like, oh, what is that smell? It's like the worst. Um, but, but as a kid, it just like, you know, you, I, I can smell that smell now. For, I mean, I, whenever I think of that smell, I'm like, oh, there we go. I'm back at church when I was a kid. And but this smell was supposedly better than that one. <laughs> and, and so she put on this anointing of oil and, and, and put on your best clothes. And then she says, go down to the threshing floor, which women were not allowed at. It says, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down... Note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, that is so weird, all right? Let's just be honest with how weird that is. And it seems like Naomi's kind of a schemer, right? She's like, okay, this is what you say, and this is is what you wear, and this is how you smell, and take a bath, and and all that stuff. And scheming to get, I mean, this sounds pretty scandalous, right? Well, pretty much is I mean this is is what what is happening here is they are trying to deliver a message to Boaz a message that 's very important, but a message that has to be delivered in secret, and we 'll get into that here in a second uh, ruth you 've grieved long enough. go get your best clothes, um, go anoint yourself with uh, oil and perfume, um, and, and, and be, uh, present yourself as some, an honorable woman in need of redemption is kind of what's happening here. And like I said, this is a romantic thing. It's not a sexual thing. And this is happening at night. And remember, this is happening in the middle of probably one of the busiest seasons in Boaz's life. He's got to keep track of things. He's measuring things. He's, he's, he's trying to do this at a certain time in the weather and this and that. And this is his turn at the threshing floor. He's busy. He's got a lot on his mind. And it's happening at night. And he's so busy. And she wants him to redeem her and not any of the other guardian redeemers. See, there's others, right? We know this. He's just one of the guardian redeemers. But he's an older guy. And ultimately, this is not an appropriate encounter. But it's an appropriate message that she has to deliver. And she needs to be respectful of his reputation. And Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, let me just, let me just say, he's probably exhausted, He's just finished eating. He probably hasn't eaten all day, working, 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 has some wine. He's probably thrilled and thankful for this harvest. There's probably a huge pile of grain, and his workers are at one end of it, and he goes around to the other side to sleep. And I don't know about you, but at the end of a long day, and you're full, and you've had some wine, and you're thankful, you're sleeping good. Probably all of them are just zonked under the stars. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet. Okay, let me just make sure we know. I'm just very clear. The only body parts uncovered in the story of this guy's nasty feet. Okay, that's it. Don't be going places. That's it. What, what are you two right here. No, what are you? It's all him, it's I do <laughs> like, Oh, it's feet. Ooh, the feet. Huh? So she uncovered his feet and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a l- woman lying at his feet. That had to be freaky. I remember waking up one night, uh, sleeping outside in Yosemite in high school and i saw two yellow eyes looking at me and i'm like what is that and it turned out to be a bear which was awesome and the bear my friend had left his pa- left cracker crumbs in his backpack And everything else was hung, and this bear saw me. I saw it, and I'm like, oh! And it wasn't that far away. And it took my friend's backpack and just started running off with it. And it was dragging it between its legs, and that has nothing to do with the story. I'm just saying that sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night and someone's looking at you, it's kind of scary. And it says in verse 9, who are you? Now, it probably wasn't, who are you? It probably was more like, who are you? Like, I mean, it probably was something totally terrifying. And, and it's a woman, whoa. Um, and what's up with my feet? And, um, you know, there's probably all this stuff going on. <laughs> and, he sa- and she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. And then she says one of the boldest things. That you could have said. I mean, in that place, in that time, in that moment, on that threshing floor, she shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been there with her. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, what she's saying to him is this. Cover me. Protect me. Fulfill your role as a guardian Redeemer. She's pledging herself in marriage, in, in, in commitment, in, in this beautiful picture of, of just laying it out there. She's, ladies, she's proposing. A servant, a, a foreign widow uh, is proposing to this man of standing in the, in the cover of darkness. I mean, it's just this kind of scandalous, romantic thing going on, and, and yet it's just so big. It's the, this risk is so big. Um, if you're a game show fan, you know how sometimes you watch these game shows and, and, and they have this opportunity where the person has like, like $10,000, and they're like, well, you can keep the $10,000, or you could risk it all for one whatever Million dollar, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like that that whole risk it and see what's behind door number three, or you know, that's the part of game shows that gets us entertained, right? Like, what are they going to do? I'd keep the ten grand, or I would go for it. You know, didn't have ten grand in the beginning, so what are you going to lose? And, and there's this, all these things swirling around in, in, in our heads when we watch these things. And do you ever listen to game show sounds? Like the ones where they wing the ding 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 ding, ding. and then there's the other one that they lose, and it's like. Wah, wah you know that so what's happening here is the huge potential of Ruth losing everything and you might be saying well she doesn't have much well yeah but the potential downside of this thing going bad is big i mean he could have been like what are you doing here you're you're I've given you enough, haven't I? I mean, I gave you all, remember that part where I said you could go behind the this and the the gleaners and this and I let you drink with the the men and and I let you do this and I, I even gave you some extra stuff. What else do you want from me? That could have been how it could have gone. Listen, Moabite chick, stop bugging me. I'm trying to sleep. My feet are cold. Knock it off. Get a center away. I mean, this could have been a huge scandal. It could have been one of those things. Word gotten out. The other guardian redeemers would have been like, stay away. This was a Hail Mary pass for her. This was big. And not only is her reputation at stake, his reputation is at stake. This is a huge step of faith. This is, a, this is a risk that doesn't keep options open for her. She's pushing all her chips in. And it's something like faith for us, Right? I mean, if you really look at it, I mean, uh, we live in a culture that is full of options for what we can do and how we can even proceed with the options that we have. We leverage our options. We insure against failure and against uh, life and ins- We have life insurance, car insurance, medical insurance. We have all these options that are, are help they're, they're, they're meant to keep us um, safe and, and margin so that the catastrophe really doesn't fall on us. Okay? We even use some of our, uh, our we leverage some of our, our options when it comes to our work relationships and our family relationships to keep ourselves safe. We even use religious options as a part, part of it. You know, some people I know that will spend, well, I, I got the karma thing going, I got the Jesus thing going, I got the Buddha thing going, I got the yoga thing going, I got, the, I got the fortune cookie thing going. I've got all the things going. I got dice hanging on my window and I got a dream catcher and I got it all just to make sure that everything good comes my way that can. And if something doesn't work, that's Okay. Because I, I still got this option, or I got that option. Ruth's pushing it all in. You remember, she already told Naomi, where you go, I will go. I'm committed to where you're going. I'm not only committed to where you're going, I'm committed to your people. And I'm not only committed to your people, I'm committed to your God. And I'm not only committed to you during life, I'm committed to you during Uh, life and through your death, meaning after you die, I'm going to stay by where you're buried. She's already sunk her teeth into this place in in no uncertain terms. This is where she's going to be. And so if this doesn't work out with Boaz, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rougher than they even could, could imagine. And I think for some of us, when it comes to faith, this is, a, this is a big transaction. And we need to see it that way. Fortunately for Ruth, Boaz responds. And it's pretty powerful. Verse 10, it says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger man, which whether rich or poor. Now, the kindness that he's talking about, this this kindness is greater than the one you showed earlier. The one you showed earlier was this kindness to Naomi to say, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to commit everything to you. And I'm going to be with you. And he heard of this kindness. And his hearing of this kindness kind of helped him even show her more kindness. And, And then he says, this kindness is greater than the oath she gave Naomi because she has options of guardian redeemers. And it sounds like some of them are younger and probably good looking. He's older. Probably is just tired and weary and lonely. And he says, this kindness you've shown me is bigger than all of those. She's trading everything she has for the opportunity to get something better. And he says, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Can you imagine this? On the side of a barley pile in the middle of the night, a promise is exchanged. He says, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, because it's probably a dangerous journey to be walking around as a lady. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. He's basically saying this. You are going to be redeemed. And I'm going to make sure of it. But I'm going to follow the law on this one. I'm going to go through the proper steps. I'm going to make sure that this is legit. I'm going to make sure that this is done right. Remember, he's a man of of noble character. Then he says... He also said, bring me a shawl. Oh, sorry, verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, which is kind of a good thing. Um, And he said... No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So this has got to be a secret. She wants it to be a secret because she doesn't want everybody else to know that she's available, that she's um, taken off of her widow's uh, ashes and her widow cloak, and, and she, wants to, she wants to just be his. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. And when Ruth came home, came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and asked, uh, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? I mean, she's just like, okay. She probably did not slept all night, right? Uh, Naomi's just asking her questions. Then he told her. she told her everything Bo- Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. There's something big about what's about to happen. We'll get into it in a couple weeks. But what Boaz does is he pays what we would call a dowry. Basically, it's payment on future payment to come. This is my word. This is my intention. This is what I want to happen. He said, wait, I've got to settle the matter. And that waiting had to be gruesome for her, for Naomi as well. The matter had to be settled, and it had to be settled in a specific place. It had to be settled at the gate of the city. That's where judicial action took place. That's where um, people had witnesses and, and things could be settled legally. And it had to happen in the morning." The big goal of all of this for both Ruth and Boaz Ruaz is redemption. The big goal. So much so that they will risk their own comfort. They're going to risk their own plans and even their own happiness to get a taste of this picture of redemption. And this is what the gospel is. This is what you and I begin to know when we get to put it all together, all the pieces together that there is one called the Redeemer. That Isaiah speaks of this Redeemer as one who will come and one who will ransom and rescue and pay and and redeem his people. And the big risk for us, I think, as we follow the the story of of Ruth and, and Boaz, is the big risk is trading it all for a chance at something glorious. Trading it all. Not setting up a bunch of options, but actually putting everything on the line for this redemption. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection. Paul talks about the resurrection. And he talks about the resurrection in terms that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're all crazy and we're all in big time bad shape. I mean, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and yet the resurrection didn't happen, oh, we're to be pitied, he says. You know what's interesting about the resurrection? It actually falls, the actual, the, the hist- historic date of the resurrection actually falls on what the Jewish people celebrated as the, the first fruits. Okay? the festival of first fruits, the feast of first fruits, and basically the beginning of the barley harvest, you would bring your barley harvest, the beginning, uh, the first, you know, ground out, threshed, and winnowed grain to the temple. And you would give it. And it would be this uh, beautiful celebration that God not only provided, but God would continue to provide. And so from the threshing floor... Straight to the temple would go the harvest. And it happened, happened to happen, the resurrection of Jesus on that day. And what it's interesting is also this idea of the threshing floor. All throughout scripture, God talks about the people of God coming to the threshing floor. And the things that happen to us in our lives, and there's things that God wants to separate out in us. That God wants to take the things out of us that are not good and get rid of them. And he wants to separate those things in us that he is doing, that he is growing, that he is is working on. And there's a harvest in all of us. There's this beautiful picture of, and theme of God separating these things out in our lives. And there's this willingness as, as, as people of God to actually lay ourselves on the threshing floor and let God do that. And some of us have been going through things in our lives in this last year that have been absolutely excruciating. And somehow or another, God is doing something, as painful as it is, has been Brutal as it is to separate those things in our lives. But ultimately what this story is, is the story of a woman who rescue, risks everything for redemption and comes to the threshing floor and lays it all out. Lays it all out. Now I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if... This following Jesus thing is just an option for you. I don't know if it's uh, just kind of hedging your bets a little bit. I don't know if it's something that you're really interested in based on the fact that maybe you have a lot of things going for you. Maybe you're not like Ruth. Maybe there's no need to really risk it all at this point. Maybe you, maybe you think to yourself, well, if I ever get to a really desperate place, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna really kind of. Throw all in with God. Now, the picture of God in Scripture is one of huge loving kindness, something so full and so big and so full of unrelenting, undeserved, unconditional grace for us. That's what draws us to God. That's what brings us to God. It's kindness. It's this kindness that brings us and leads us to redemption. It's that picture of God that brings us to the threshing floor. And I think that for some of us in this room, I just got to ask you, how hungry are you? How hungry are you for that? How desperate are you for that? How much do you want to yearn for knowing what it's like to be fully redeemed? Are you prepared to trade everything you have for it, all your options, all your possibilities, to get that? Jesus uses words like surrender. He uses these these crazy phrases like "you got to lose your life to find it." You got to lay down your life. You got to pick up your cross. You gotta you gotta you gotta give up yourself. He's he goes through these things. How the blessed are the brokenhearted, and blessed are the poor, and blessed are those who are who are really at the end of the rope. And these these themes all throughout Scripture that say, "Hey, I've gotten to the point where all I have." is this Hail Mary, this this unbelievable, last-second, heroic, put everything into the middle of the table and, and risk it all for this redemption that someone told me about. And yet, here's the other theme in this story. There's the promise of it, right? Boaz gives her the promise of it, but the matter is not totally settled until the next day. And I think for some of us, I think that we have the promise of the redemption, but it's not totally done yet. It's not totally finished. We're in the middle of some waiting for many of us, waiting for the full picture of this redemption to happen. And it's not happening yet. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Why? Because there's still war. There's still pain. There's still brokenness and sin in my heart and in this world. And I know that God is doing something in me. But at the same time, there's this waiting. And God has promised redemption. Okay, He's promised it. And it's not fully here yet. We're in the middle of the now and the not yet. Much like Ruth probably experienced that evening and Naomi. And so this morning, we're going to come to the communion table as people who are waiting, maybe desperate. Maybe this is your moment to come to the threshing floor and push everything in. And maybe this is a moment where you cross over like the I have options line into the I'm putting all my options out there and saying, God, you are my only hope. Jesus, I believe in you as the redeemer. And everything else is chaff. Everything else, if you were to throw it up in the air, is gonna blow away. Isaiah writes about Jesus. Isaiah 62. And he talks about what it looks like to be a people who lay it all out who risk it all in faith? He says, You'll get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. You'll be a stunning crown in the palm of God's hand, a jeweled gold cup held high in the hand of God. No more, no more will anyone call you rejected, and your country will no more be called ruined. You will be called my delight. And your land will be called married to God. Because God delights in you and your land will be like a wedding celebration. For as a young man marries his virgin bride, so your builder marries you. And the bridegroom is happy in his bride, so your God is happy with you. This beautiful picture of God swooping in and claiming you. There's nothing better. And as you can see in film and in art and in our culture, there are, there are tastes of redemption. We love stories of redemption. We love stories of rescue. And none of them can totally grasp the full picture of redemption of God for us in Christ. And so this morning as you come to the table, maybe it's an act of faith. Reminding that God is at work. And he wants to pull you into his loving kindness. And for some of us, maybe it's a reminder that we are not only coming to the table and remembering what Jesus has done and his body broken for us and his blood spilled for us, but it's also a renewal of our participation in what it looks like to be ambassadors of God's loving kindness in this world. And so this morning, let's, uh, let's come to the table. How we do it here, if you're new, we have three stations in the back. The ones on the sides have um, real bread, uh, real hunks of bread, uh, completely saturated with gluten. And uh, you can, <laughs> if you're a gluten fan, um, you can hit those side ones. Um, if you are gluten-free, right in the middle, we have some gluten-free crackers. Uh, and, and, and just dip into the, to the, to the juice um, in, in your moment. Um, come when you're ready. Listen to the words, of the song. If you need a moment, you need to walk away. You need to deal with God in certain ways. If you feel like you are being threshed out, that is good. Hold on to that. Work into that. Lean into that because God is at work, okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father.